Hi, this is Greg Poling, director of AMTI, and I'm joined today by Bill Hayton, an associate fellow with Chatham House. Uh, Bill recently wrote an article for the BBC suggesting that Vietnam had recently pulled the plug on oil and gas drilling in a disputed part of the South China Sea due to implicit or explicit threats from China. Uh, Bill, what has happened? Well, I should say that my information is coming via the oil industry rather than via uh, politics in Hanoi, but it's it's a pretty well-informed source, I would say. Um, and so I think you kind of need to take, you know, have, have the caveat that we never know entirely what happens at the top level of Vietnamese politics. But since I've written the article, no one's come out and, and contradicted it. And in fact, uh, I think Carl Thayer has recently said that he's having the same information from different sources, so that seems to confirm it. But what the uh, the nub of the story is that um, an oil company, uh, ultimately owned by Repsol of Spain, uh, has been drilling uh, in the uh, in what Vietnam claims to be its, its exclusive economic zone, but, but pretty far out, almost at the very edge of its exclusive economic zone. Um, they did so in the full knowledge that uh, China has a, a claim to the same area, um, although not one that was generally recognized by international law. They went ahead anyway, but then China has got heavy, and uh, according to the story that I heard, literally threatened the... Vietnamese ambassador in Beijing uh, with the possibility that China might attack um, some of Vietnam's bases or positions in the South China Sea if it didn't stop drilling. Um, and not only that it had to stop drilling, but it also had to pledge that it would never drill in the same place ever again. And your sources say that Vietnam did make such a pledge, or should we assume that this might be a, a temporary freeze while the Vietnamese try to figure out what their game plan is? Uh, my understanding is that they have agreed to stop drilling and that Repsol are in the, in the process right now of plugging the well. They have to pour concrete down the well and you know, stop it leaking. Um, and then they've got to kind of do everything that they need to do technically before they can actually form, you know, actually withdraw. But that's going on right now. I mean, that does, my understanding is that doesn't stop them technically from going back and drilling in the future. I mean, they could kind of go back and drill another well 100 meters away and it would be safe. Um, but the question, of, you know, politically, of course, is whether uh, Vietnam has made that commitment. And, uh, I mean, well, I, 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 can't, I can't tell you the answer on that one. All we know, I think, is that, they have, is that Vietnam has you know, terminated the drilling early. Uh, what happens next, I think, is going to be the subject of some debate, not least because Repsol... Uh, has taken, and its predecessor companies have spent in the order of $300 million getting to this point, and they're pretty confident that what they've found out there is a quite a sizable gas reserve. Um, and I imagine uh, both Vietnam and Repsol would like to see it drilled. Um, the question is what arrangement they can come to. So this is an area of the shelf, uh, the continental shelf of Vietnam, in the south that is far distant from any of the disputed land features in the Spratleys. Uh, I mean, even if if uh, the Chinese were trying to claim um, that, that this were legitimately legally in dispute, uh, we have a court case, uh, an arbitral tribunal at the Permanent Court of Arbitration last July that basically said that none of these, these specs of rock are entitled to EEZs or kind of shelves. Even if they were, though, this is about as far as you can possibly get and still be within the 9-dash line. Is that right? Yeah, yes, yeah, pretty much. I mean, uh, I, you know, 
theory that it goes a bit further and you know, that's where it gets into the into the Indonesian exclusive economic zone. Um, but um, I mean, this is way way beyond um, anything that could be drawn from the Chinese mainland. Um, uh, and now that the tribunal has effectively ruled that um, none of the Spratly features are, are full islands, um, it, it's 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 long long way from there. So the question, I suppose, is really is how you know is China going to assert a claim? to this bit of seabed, is, is it actually prepared to form, formally do so? Um, is it going to argue that the, the U-shaped line, the nine-dash line, is some kind of claim to, quote, historic rights uh, in the area? Or is it going to try to say that the Spratleys collectively form uh, an island group and that you can that China could claim an exclusive economic zone from an island group? Now, neither of those claims are would be supported by the arbitral tribunal's ruling uh, or by almost every interpreter of, of UNCLOS, the, the, the Law of the Sea Convention. So, uh, or is China simply just going to say, you know, it's ours um, and, and not provide any justifications for it? It's worth saying that back in 1992, um, an American company, tiny American company called Crestone, persuaded China to award it the rights to, the, to a, a part of the seabed that includes the area that was, that's being drilled by Repsol um, and made a lot of money from, from those rights. Uh, eventually, they've been passed on uh, to a, another uh, company, although I'm not entirely sure which one now because it, they were poor, passed on to a Hong Kong-based company called Bright Oil, uh, but Bright Oil now says it doesn't own those rights but won't tell me who they've uh, sold or given them to. But obviously, China uh, wants to defend... The, it's, it's, it's claim to that area um, and so it's uh, come down heavy on Vietnam in this way. So it's it's interesting you said you know the Chinese might just decide to, to claim this without telling anybody why they claim it which seems to be the position that the Ministry of Foreign Affairs took this morning when asked about this where their spokesman said uh, you know relevant countries should stop relevant activities in relevant waters which is as vague as a human <laughs> being can possibly be um, but <laughs> I won't go swimming just in case I cross the, <laughs> the danger line. Into relevant, um, right? This has always been the argument, right? That, yeah. that it's it's impossible to to talk, uh, you know, productively with the Chinese side for the Southeast Asians because it's never clear what is in dispute, why it's in dispute, and Beijing has no interest in clarifying that. Yeah, and I think this sort of is about the haphazard way that the claim emerged. Um, I mean, I, I don't think anybody in, in China really understands how the U-shaped line came to be drawn and, and what it meant when it was drawn back in 1947 and, and, and what it means now. Uh, all they've got is the sort of idea that there is a line, the idea that there are some resources there. And, in, and now, you know, we can be pretty much certain that there are some, you know, sizable gas reserves uh, where Repsol was drilling. Um, and that China wants them. Um, and I don't think it can agree a, a legal position. I don't think different parts of the administration you know, necessarily have the same interpretations of the law or whatever. I think it's just a sort of sense uh, that, that it's ours, quotes, and um, and they're going to make sure that they, they get it. So do we have, do you have any idea why this is the block where the Chinese seem to have drawn a line? Because it's not as if the Vietnamese are not producing oil and gas in other areas that are closer to the coast of China and closer to the Paracels and the Spratleys. You know, Exxon has a deal 
to produce off the, the central coast of Vietnam and areas that also are within mm-hmm. the Nine Dash Line. Gazprom's been doing it for decades. Why now? And mm-hmm. I, I think one thing is simply, you know, is it's about drawing a line and saying nothing more. Um, and um, back in 2006, seven, eight, uh, other oil companies, in particular BP, got in, you know, into trouble with China when they tried to develop new reserves. Actually, those reserves were actually closer to the Vietnamese coast than ones that they were already operating. So I think it's about, you know, China trying to shut down any new development, uh, wherever it may be, uh, if it's within the U-shaped line. Uh, the block that Repsol have been drilling has this history going back to 1992, so that might be another um, reason why they're taking a, a heavy line now. Um, um, but I mean, it's kind of it's, it's, you know, without any kind of formal statement, you know, you know, coherent statement from from the Chinese side, it, it's very hard to work out why. Um, I think the Vietnamese thought that they were you know, this was a reasonable risk to take. Um, Repsol had. Um, or Talisman Vietnam, as it was, had drilled uh, a test well in this area in late 2014. Um, And they'd been itching to drill this appraisal well ever since. And uh, government in Hanoi had said no and blocked them for two and a half years. And then this year had given them approval to go ahead. Um, So, you know, obviously, Hanoi did that knowing what the likely risks were. Um, so it is, I think, quite a surprise that it has turned around and, and stopped it all now. Uh, is it possible that there were other targets for this, uh, particularly Manila, that the Chinese felt that if they if they can kind of pull the Vietnamese up short, it sends a strong message to others who are who are wavering? And we did see uh, the Philippine government, the Department of, of Energy, talk about uh, potential uh, bidding for contracts in December for Reed Bank, the area that, that the Filipinos have... Uh, been they've put on hold uh, drilling there for I think every year for the last four years. So the notion that if if the region sees the Vietnamese standing up to Beijing and getting away with it, then others will decide they can do the same. I think you could be right because um, after uh, I heard that the, the drilling had started um, and um, you know the, Vietnam appeared to be quotes getting away with it. I think that was then. Um, we heard from the, the Philippine side that they were going to put uh, the reed bank out to, to, to tender. Now, the reed bank is also a place where people are pretty certain there are gas reserves, probably even larger than the ones that the Vietnamese are drilling. Um, and Philippines wants that because its existing large gas field at Malampire is due to run out, you know, within certainly within a decade, and it wants to replace those supplies. Um, and in a way, that was what the whole arbitration ruling uh, was was for. It was so that uh, the Philippines you know, could have a clear legal claim to those, those gas reserves. Um, the Manila government started talking about um, uh, those rights, uh, and you're right, and, and now we have this response from, from Beijing. Um, I mean, there is this, uh, you've heard this Chinese saying in, in the part of the you know, in previous South China Sea incidents about, you know, Killing the chicken to scare the monkey. Um, well, it may well be that um, you know that they're trying to uh, at least scare the monkey uh, in, in, in this case and, and scare the chicken. Yeah, and we have uh, Foreign Minister Wang Yi in Manila today talking about joint development, and I imagine that that now comes with a or else implied if you're if you're yeah. being president. Yes. Maybe it wasn't yeah. just a day ago. 
Yes, I mean, you could be right. I mean, this may be all, you know, kind of fits into a, a bigger picture. I mean, the big problem that, you know, they'll face in, in the Philippines is that, you know, the Philippines constitution basically prohibits uh, such a thing. You know, that joint development is quite specific about um, uh, the fact that uh, things must be um, majority controlled by the Philippines and that sort of thing. Um, I mean, the Philippines, you know, will be obviously very happy to do a commercial joint development deal with China. That you know, the rights belong to the Philippines, and that the Chinese side can share in the profits. But uh, I don't think that's what the. I mean, that's definitely not, not how the Chinese see it. Um, so, true joint development in terms of government to government is not something that the the Philippines wants to wants to give. And even though I think the Duterte administration has been very uh, friendly towards China, um, I think that um, the experience uh, of, uh, I suppose, going back to the the US uh, domination of the Philippines, that experience of losing access to resources is, is, is quite a a, uh, a strong emotion in, in Philippines politics. So kind of, in quotes, losing them to the Chinese is, you know, is, is, is equally bad. So I, I can't see a, a uh, Duterte completely selling out the country in that sense. Um, nonetheless, obviously the Chinese are hopeful that they might be able to get something moving, uh, or by you know threatening to block anything, trying to, um, to maneuver the, the Philippines into a different position. We shall see, I suppose. So the Vietnamese have been, um, at least in Washington, talked about as an outlier when it comes to uh, policy toward the Chinese over the last year. So we've seen uh, Malaysia, Philippines, among others, moving toward Beijing, and there's been a notion that the Vietnamese, despite wanting good relations with Beijing, continue to seek uh, a, a multilateral foreign policy, that they want to balance. They, we had Prime Minister Fook here in Washington with a productive meeting with Trump. Uh, we have the defense minister heading to Washington soon. We have clearly the Vietnamese uh, not quite buying in to the new Chinese charm offensive in the same mm -hmm. way its neighbors have. Do you see uh, a message about U.S. credibility uh, or at least how much uh, reassurance Hanoi feels from Washington in this decision to back down? I think so. I mean, what, what I was hearing, and, and I, you know, I say again, I'm getting this you know, third hand, um, is that at the discussions in, in Hanoi, and there were apparently two meetings of the Politburo, the top level of the Communist Party, where they discussed this. Um, apparently, the vast majority of people around the table wanted to call China's bluff and carry on drilling. But the General Secretary, Mr. Chom, and the Minister of Defense uh, were basically saying, you know, we can't rely on the United States to come and help us in this situation. Um, we can't call China's bluff and be and, and risk the possibility that China could take military action against uh, some of our positions in the Spratlys. And, and it's worth bearing in mind that some of Vietnam's positions are simply isolated blockhouses on reefs or even just sort of you know, um, on things on stilts uh, in, in the middle of the sea, in the middle of you know, shallow seas. So they are pretty vulnerable. Um, and I suppose they were hoping that they could rely on uh, some kind of statement or, or physical demonstration of support from the U.S., something that wouldn't necessarily be about supporting anyone's particular territorial claims, but saying um, you know, the law of the sea is such that these resources here can't belong to anybody except for, you know, for Vietnam, um, and that therefore... Vietnam is you know, within its rights to develop them, and therefore um, we would oppose anybody else trying to stop Vietnam exercising its lawful rights. 
But it seems that the the swinging argument from the Politburo was, we don't think that that the US is going to be there with us at that point, so therefore we can't defend the claim, so therefore we have to back down. And I think that's a pretty salutary um, moment for Vietnam and also for the rest of the region. I mean, if, if Vietnam doesn't feel that way, then is the Philippines going to feel that way? Is Malaysia, is Indonesia going to feel that way at, at later points? And then the wider question, of course, is you know, kind of the sense of whether the U.S. will be there in the larger sense uh, for Southeast Asia, or, or is this sort of, you know, um, time that China's sphere of influence really takes on a, a practical meaning and it's, um, you know, resistance is lost. The Vietnamese obviously have... You know, a very keen desire not to be sucked into uh, China's sphere of influence, into China's orbit. Um, they want to, you know, have independence of foreign policy. They want as many different players from outside the region in- involved to kind of to, to make them, you know, to give them that that strategic autonomy, so they don't have to make any choices. Um, so I think they're um, they're pretty upset at the moment. Um, and they're obviously going to have to sort of, uh, you know, recalibrate some of their diplomacy. But as you say, the defence minister is off to, to Washington in a couple of weeks, I think. Um, so let's see what comes comes out of that. There's obviously a chance for the Vietnamese to go back and drill again, should they choose to, at some point in the future, I suppose. But it would um, have to depend on whether um, they think they can they can get away with it. All right. Well, let me end by putting you on the spot a bit. Uh, we've had an active debate among South China Sea Watchers since last July about Chinese strategy, Chinese intentions. Uh, are they playing nice because they're really moderating their position, or are they playing nice because they're buying time while they build up infrastructure in the islands and the like? You wrote an article not long ago uh, arguing that there are. <laughs> are you going to bring this up? <laughs> yeah, that there's been, you know, if there's a silver lining, it's that maybe the Chinese slowly but surely are coming around to at least partial compliance with the ruling from the tribunal last July. Uh, what does this tell you on that front? <laughs> well, um, I think I mean, I think I was right up until last week. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but facts, dear boy, as I think the former Prime Minister in Britain once said. Um, the, I mean, I think these are, these are choices. And I, I think China's behavior could be shaped, maybe still could, be, you know, still can be shaped. Um, I think if there had been more of an effort to basically accentuate the positive and uh, try and deter the negative, uh, you know, praising China for its, you know, its, its good behaviour, um, but making clear that um, certain abuses were, you know, for, you know, were not going to be tolerated, um, then we could, we could have, you know, I wouldn't be having to you know, correct my earlier article. Now, um, but I think the sort of the sense that there's a vacuum in, in these matters um, right now, that the Trump administration is looking elsewhere, that it's not entirely focused on the region, has given uh, China an, an opportunity. Um, and I think there are different voices within, you know, the Chinese administration. You know, certainly when you hear people like the, the National Institute for South China Sea Studies based in Hainan province in the south talking, they talk as if, you know, the claim is, as, you know, is, is as grand as it ever was. Um, but, you know, other voices we've heard from uh, in terms of, you know, uh, legal, quasi-legal analyses that were printed in the, the, the Chinese newspaper back in July last year seem to suggest a, you know, a more compromising approach. 
Um, but maybe they looked at the situation and they sort of thought, well, there's no point, you know, compromising, you know, kind of we have nothing to, to lose at this point. Um, so, I mean, it's it's kind of, you know, deflating for me that my optimistic, um, you know, <laughs> analysis <laughs> was punctured about two weeks later. I, I don't think it was inevitable, um, but I kind of think it's the result of the choices that have been made. Um, you know, these it's, it's not an irrevocable situation. Um, I mean, every, you know, if we, the, 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 the situation can be reset in theory if, you know, uh, made, made clear that there are certain, you know, UNCLOS will set the rules and that those rules will be defended um, and that the US and other countries are going to uh, insist on certain things, then we could be back um, to my more optimistic analysis. But if there's just going to be a policy void in the South China Sea and there's going to be nothing that's going to um, restrain China's actions, uh, then some of the more negative views will probably end up uh, being seen as the right ones. Well, uh, with that bit of still optimism in the face of all this, uh, (laughs) Bill, thank you very much for taking the time. Thank you for asking the difficult questions. (laughs) 